following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel.
Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. It's clean-up time. Jesus, Jesus was going to Jerusalem. There was a Passover. Passover was the celebration of the Pesach, the wing of God covering over the children of Israel. When the death angel passed over, Jesus was going for the week-long celebration. All men in Israel and Judah were obligated to attend. So Jerusalem would be crowded. More than a million visitors were in the city. And of course, Jesus went to the temple. It was his father's house. This was not Solomon's temple. It had been destroyed by Babylon. It was not the second temple. It was the third temple. It was Herod's temple. He went in to the court of the Gentiles with his new disciples. And there they were faced with a sight of confusion and noise, the lowing of animals, the clinking of money. He found men selling cattle and sheep and doves and others sitting at tables exchanging money. They were all required to bring the coinage of the temple to pay their temple tax. So they had to exchange their money and buy that coin of the temple. Now, in previous years, the exchange had been set up outside of the temple on the hillside. And there, people who were coming from a long distance, who could not bring their animal that long distance, would, would go and buy a bull or a lamb, or a dove. And they would exchange their money. Obviously, you see, it was rift for corruption, for overcharging. But now they'd moved into the temple itself in the outer court. This was the only place the Gentiles could go to worship. They were not allowed inside. They were Gentiles. So now they had created a barnyard in the outer court, an auction market. Jesus was so, how do I say, disappointed, angered. For the scripture says, that his house was to be a house of prayer, not of commerce, not of business. So he took some of the cords that had tied animals and he made it into a whip. And then he began to drive the livestock, the cattle, the sheep. He drove them out and they went out in a rush People had to run to get out of the way. And then he took the tables with all the coins stacked very neatly and flipped them over. Can you imagine the sound of those coins hitting the rock floor? The tables crashing. To those who were selling doves, he said, Get these out of here. How dare you turn my father's house into a market? It was clean-up time. He was cleaning up his father's house. His father's house was to be a house of prayer, not of commerce and business, not of shenanigans. His disciples 
after his death and resurrection, remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house will consume me. Now, the Jewish authorities came and they demanded of him, What miraculous sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? Those, who are you? What are you doing? Well, he was already performing miracles of healing, and the children and, and the sick were all coming to him, and he was healing them. And now the temple of God was being used as a place of, of healing, of setting free, of breaking the bondage of the devil. Oh, my brother, my sister, God wants to set you free. God wants to heal you. He wants to bless you. Jesus never comes to the brokenhearted in arrogance. He never comes condemning. But he was about cleaning up his father's house. And dare I say it, he's come again in the modern American church to clean it up. It's time to clean up. It's time for us who are Americans to clean up. We need to be washed and cleansed and healed and purified. Now, some of you may say, Pastor, I know everything you're saying. It's good to hear it again, but I know everything you're saying. No, we don't, we don't lack information. We lack the heart, the mind, the willingness to walk out what we know. That's the issue here. It's not what you know, it's what you don't do that you do know. Jesus answered them in a way they could not begin to understand. He said, destroy this temple and I will rise it again in three days. It had been under construction for years. And it wasn't finished until just six years before its destruction by Titus. Forty-six years it had been under construction. And Jesus is saying, I'm going to raise it up in three days. Of course, they didn't understand. He was referring to his, his death and his resurrection three days later. For he is the temple of God. Now, while Jesus was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many people saw the, the miraculous signs. They, they saw the healing. They saw the deaf having their hearing restored. They saw the leper cleansed. They saw things that they'd never imagined before. And they believed in his name. They believed that he was Jesus. They even believed that he was probably the Messiah. But then comes verse 24. John 2, 24. It is one of the most terrifying scriptures in all of the Bible. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all men. He did not need man's testimony about man, for he knew what was in a man. Jesus knew what was in their hearts, and he would not entrust himself to them, because they had not been born from above in just the next chapter, he's going to address Nicodemus and say, you must be born from above or you cannot enter the kingdom of God. But 
my question to you. Will God entrust himself to you? Will Jesus, will the Holy Spirit entrust himself to you? Or have you so grieved him that he has departed from you? The Lord has been very clear with me, very explicit in telling me to preach Romans, the sixth chapter. telling me that that is where I must focus my attention on this radio broadcast. Why? Because the American church, Jesus knows what's in it. And until it cleans up, until it turns once more the attention of the preaching and the teaching, to purity of heart, to the washing and cleansing by the blood, to the heart being circumcised by Jesus, until the man and the woman in the American church is crucified with Christ, he will not entrust himself to us. He has been long absent from the New Testament the New Testament church. He's been long absent from the American church. Look at the New Testament church and then look at the American church. Totally different. It's cleanup time. It's time to wash. You know what I want more than anything? I want Jesus to come and entrust himself to me, to you. So what is in a man? What is in a woman? Well, I could turn to many different places to tell you about that. Probably one of the most startling places we could go to talk about that is Romans, the first chapter. Verse 18, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. The modern American church has great teaching, but we have suppressed the truth by the way we have lived, by what we have loved. Although they knew God, although the American church knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Look at the the wicked popes display for Christmas. It is a display of the most despicable pagan images. This Pope is an absolute antichrist. I'm not saying he is the antichrist. I am saying he is a antichrist. He is against Jesus. And it must grieve the hearts of those of you who fellowship in the Roman church. So God gave them over. And they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator who is to be praised forever. Verse 32, although they knew God, they knew God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death. They not only continue to do these very things, but they also approve of those who practice them. Now, let's bring it home very close. When you look at your life and you see someone that you disagree with, 
you see someone that you instantly in your heart say that person is worthless. They're a sinner. I ask you, how do you respond to them? Do you respond with compassion and mercy? And do you begin to weep over them? Or do you write them off and condemn them? Moses did not write off and condemn the children of Israel. He wept before God. He said, take my life that they could live. The way we respond to another person is a very clear indicator of what is in our hearts. It's time to clean up. It's time to weep over the sinner and not condemn him. What do you think a person would say? On one hand, you want to say, get out of here, I'm done with you. And on the other hand, if you fell on your face and you began to weep over them, how would they respond? They wouldn't know how to respond. (laughs) Because suddenly they would be confronted by something they don't understand. Love, compassion, brokenness over their condition. It's time for us to clean up and to be broken over the sinner's to be broken over the wicked. But Jesus did not entrust himself because he knew what was in man. Now I want to read for you very specifically what is in man. Let's have no illusions. This is what is in man. Galatians, the fifth chapter, for the sinful nature, this is Galatians 5, verse 17. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit. And the Spirit, what is contrary to the sinful nature. So we know already there's going to be an intense warfare between the righteous and the unrighteous. Now, how do the righteous respond to the unrighteous? With with condemnation? or with tears falling on your face and praying. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery. What is debauchery? It is a mixture of alcohol and sexual uncleanness and intense partying like New Year's Eve coming up. People will be debauched. Idolatry, putting something ahead of Jesus. Witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy. Fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy. Especially hatred and discord and fits of rage. What do you think if the Christian responds with those kinds of responses to the lost, to the dying? then the sinner says he's just like me. He just has a different ideology. But he's no different than me. He hates just like I hate. Dissensions, factions, envy. Do you understand when when a pagan doesn't respond to the gospel... When a pagan doesn't respond to the gospel, 
I am not allowed to respond the way he does. I must respond in the way Jesus would. With sadness? Tears? Because you know where that person is rushing. They are rushing toward the fires of hell. And your heart is moved with compassion. You want for them salvation. But when you have these things in your heart, they have to be cleaned up. Fits of rage, kicking the wall, punching the wall, shouting and screaming, cursing a Christian. We've got to clean up. Drunkenness. I hear reports of of Christians who love their wine. Not just one glass, two, three glasses. They love their wine. Drunkenness. It's time to clean up and put the alcohol away. Orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. If we don't clean up, we will not inherit the kingdom of God, even though we are called Christians. The, the fruit of the Spirit. Not the fruits. The fruit. One fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature. The sinful nature is the one that has judgments and accusations, dissensions, factions. What about your life? Do you need to clean up? Do you have people in your background that you have wronged? That you've cheated? That you need to pay? You need to make restitution? It's not enough to say, I'm sorry. We have to make restitution. We have to pay back what we owe. For some, that will be a very long and painful process. I have a a dentist whose father and then he gave me free dental care for many years. And then without warning me, I suddenly got a bill. And it was for $4,000. Now, should I, should I argue with him and say, you didn't tell me that you were charging? I had to have a, a tooth made, a cap. That was very expensive. No, I just thanked him for his years of service. And I said, I will pay you as best I can, but it may take me a little bit of time. He's a wonderful man. He's a wonderful dentist. But he's hurting financially, too. And so I began paying him back. I would not have run up a bill of $4,000 had I known about his decision to begin charging me full price. So I've finally paid off a part of that. 
Do I have an obligation to finish paying him? Yes. Am I going to the dentist? No. No, I won't go back until the bill's paid. Because the Lord has told me don't go in debt. So, I have to live that way. Because that's what the Lord has asked me to do. Do you have things you need to pay back? Things you've written off? Forgot about? My father was a businessman as well as a lay preacher. He was a W.T. Raleigh man. They sold spices and household goods, things for the farm. He would make a route to regular customers, take him two months to make that circuit. And we would have guest preachers come once in a while, and we had a guest preacher come to our church. And as always, he was invited to our home. Dad was the head elder. He was invited to our home for dinner afterward. And then he stayed the afternoon and the evening. We had a a worship time together. And then Dad said, let me show you my storeroom, my, my Raleigh business. So the two men went out, and Dad showed him his his storeroom for the vanilla and the extracts and the farmer's insecticides and all the things Amish need. And the pastor said, Oh, I love this. I haven't known where I could get this. Could I buy this from you, Matt? Well, certainly you can. And so he he bought a number of different products. Dad added it all up, and he handed him the slip of paper with the amount. And the pastor said, I'm sorry I'm embarrassed, but I don't have any way to pay you now. I didn't expect to see this, but I'll pay you soon. So Dad said, it's okay. So he wrote in his book the amount the pastor owed. And the pastor left with his products, promising that he would pay. And yes, you guessed it. The time went by, and Dad sent him another bill. Didn't hear from the preacher. Dad sent him a second bill. Didn't hear from the preacher. And then Dad said, This man has shamed the name of Jesus, but I will not shame the name of Jesus by pursuing this any further. And he never sent the pastor another bill, and the pastor never showed up to pay his bill. Some people turn bitter at things like that. They see the way the so-called righteous act, and they say, wow, I don't believe in these Christians. They don't practice honesty. Integrity. We have to be responsible for what we have and what we owe. Do you need to clean up? Do you need to wash? I remember a day when my late wife and I were in a very hard place. We'd been living via the credit card. We were $70,000 in credit card debt. We didn't have jobs. We tried, but we, we did not have a church. And we finally went and laid this all before the Lord and confessed that we should not have gone in debt and that it was our sin. But now, we put it under the blood of Jesus, and we ask him if he would pay the bill. And he told us, 
call each debtor on the credit cards and make arrangements to pay them a set amount every month, and I will send you the money. And for the next several years, we prayed in that money. It came from very unusual sources until finally by the year 2000, we were debt-free. We had a great celebration. It's cleanup time. It's time to walk in in the fear of God. It's time for our hearts to be pure. It's time for us to stop looking at any evil thing to turn off the entertainment of the world, the flesh, and the devil. It's time to get clean with Jesus. It's time to respond to other people the way Jesus would respond, with compassion and not with contempt. It's time to walk like Jesus walked. First John is very clear that we must walk as Jesus walked if we claim we are his disciples. Now, I want to come to another passage of Scripture. 1 John is one of my favorite books in all of the Scripture. I read it first to last chapter many times every month sometimes every day. In the first chapter, in verse 5, this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, and that word fellowship you know is koinonia, And koinonia means a mutual leaning on one another for support. In other words, I lean on Jesus for support, and Jesus leans on me. Because it's mutual love. If we claim to have koinonia, fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus his Son purifies us from all sin. Purified by by the blood of Jesus from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Now this is the flag that the Reformed Church will wave in today's lying culture and say, see, if you say you are without sin, you are a liar because if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. You are deceived if you claim that you have a pure heart. You can prove anything by pulling one scripture out and saying, okay, now this is the absolute truth. But it's not. What did I just read to you? The blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If the blood purifies us from all sin, how is it possible that if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us? Well, we have to understand context, and we also have to understand who he's writing to. He is confronting the Gnostic belief that they don't need Jesus because they have no sin. See, they believed that the outer flesh was wicked, but the inner being was like gold. It was pure, and it does not need a Savior. So he's saying, now listen, I'm saying you can be purified by the blood of Jesus, but if you claim to be without sin, without Jesus, you're deceiving yourselves. Then notice the next verse. 
If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins. And that word forgive is aphemy, meaning to remove. Here's a bottle of water. It's it's now sitting on the computer. Aphemy means I reach out and I pick that bottle up off the computer. And now it's no longer on the computer. It's gone. That's aphemy, where Jesus reaches down and lifts the sin off of your life. You are forgiven of your sins. And purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word has no place in our lives. We have all sinned. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. But we are called to get clean. We're called to wash up with the blood of Jesus. And Jesus does that for us. He does it for us. He circumcises our hearts. It's a divine work of grace. It's not by works, lest any of you should boast. It is the work of God in our hearts. My dear children, now listen to this. Now, this is not the church today. This is not the Bible answer, man. This is not the culture. But I don't go by the culture. I go by what Jesus says. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. Jesus Christ, the righteous one, he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in him. It's that man that Jesus will not entrust himself to. But if anyone obeys the word, his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we're in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus does. You should be able to say with me that you have no known sin in your heart. By definition, sin is a voluntary rebellion against God or against the Holy Spirit. You should be able to say today, I have no part of my heart that I know of that is in rebellion against the Lord. Now, we will come to a place where, yes, we have a pure heart. But then we may say something or we may do something that offends the Holy Spirit that is sin. And that's why he says, I write this to you so that you will not sin, but if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. Jesus Christ, the righteous one, he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. I have prayed for many years. Oh God, give me a pure heart. And he did. He did give me a pure heart. Am I tempted to sin? Oh yes. The devil always comes. He came tempting Adam and Eve before they fell. He came tempting Jesus Christ in that desert place. He will come, and he knows your place of weakness, but the scriptures say, God will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able to bear. He will provide for you a way of escape. There is zero 
excuse for sin. And when a man is born from above, he is transformed. Now, I'm going to be real clear with you. We've come to the end of the age. Jesus is coming again. We are going to see his glory. Before he comes again, according to the scriptures, the gospel will be proclaimed in one last great outcry in Matthew 24. In order for that to happen, the Lord must send the latter rain. The winter season was the growing season. The spring rain, or the latter rain, was to bring the fruit to fruition, to cause the crop to be fully produced. The latter rain is going to be poured out upon Christians who have taken the time and the interest in gaining a pure heart before God. There is going to be a great outpouring of Holy Spirit power and presence for those of us who have repented and confessed and been washed in the blood, who have pure hearts before Almighty God. We are about to see the breaking out of great revival in our nation. Now, we're also going to see increasing, as this winter goes forward, great suffering, hunger, And it's going to test us who are Christians to say, are we going to care only for ourselves or are we going to care for others? We've been kicked out of our comfortable enclaves. And it's time now to be cleaned up, to be washed up. I remember when my girls were young, And I would go to check their rooms and find their bed unmade and find their clothes on the floor. And I would say, whoa, 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 wait, girls. Before you go to school, make your bed. That was a a law in our home. And sometimes the school bus would be outside and they'd say, Dad, you have to run, I have to run. Okay, I'll make your bed for you this morning. But when you get home from school tonight, Your first job is to clean up this room and hang these clothes up. Do you understand what I'm saying? Now, you may say to me, Pastor, I don't have anything to clean up. You know that's not true. It may be attitude. It may be compassion and mercy for the lost It may be absorbed with all of the things you're doing instead of waiting before the Lord and getting his clear direction. I don't know what the issues are in your life. It may be outstanding debts. You may have lied or cheated or stolen. I just know it's time to clean up. It's time. There's no condemnation. I hope you're not hearing me in any way being condemning of you. I love you. But I know the Holy Spirit is going to be poured out in great power, and I want you to participate in this final great work of God for the salvation of the lost and the dying. I am jealous for the work of God. I want you to let the Lord God of heaven search your heart. The way you treat your husband or your wife or your children, 
Do you yell and scream at your kids? Do you jerk them? Do you put them down? Do you ignore them? How do you treat your wife? How do you treat your husband? How do you treat the people you work with? Are you one who speaks words of encouragement? It's time to clean up. I know today's a very practical message, and some of you will say, you know, Pastor, I didn't need that. (laughs) That shows how much you do need it. It's time to hear from God about your heart. Now, I'd love to hear from you. And if if the Holy Spirit is moving you to support this gospel work, then would you please do that? Would you write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195? Thank, thank you. Thank you, each one of you. Your generosity. Your generosity. Thank you. Your caring for me. Your caring for this work of the gospel means everything to me. Your love outpoured means everything to me. Thank you. And it means everything to Jesus. You can also give by going online to nationalprayerchapel.com and you can click on the upper right-hand corner. And if you listen on YouTube, would you subscribe to our channel? As we have more people subscribed, Google will spread the message further and more people will find us. Would you post this message and other messages on your Facebook page, the link, and invite people to listen? Would you spread the word? I know the Holy Spirit is coming in power. I don't want you to miss it. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenlee from the National Prayer Chapel. I love you, my brother, my sister. Be encouraged today. Know that the power of God is coming. What we've waited for for so many years is coming. The Holy Spirit has told me the church will be baptized, crucified with Christ, and given a pure heart. God bless you. I love you. I wish I could meet each of you in person. Hopefully soon I can. I'll talk to you soon.